Hey everyone, this is Ben Chapman. Thank you for listening to Luminous Church Podcast. It's always an honor that you would take time out of your day to listen to us. We hope that you would see Jesus more clearly today and that you would also be inspired to make a difference wherever you find yourself. Enjoy today's sermon and God bless you. Come on, some babies getting dedicated, three-week-old Jackie, Benjamin up in here. I love Benjamin because uh, Benjamin is, you know, same, same name as me, so I'm a little biased, a little biased to Benjamin. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 32. That's where we're going to be this morning, Genesis chapter 32. A very obscure verse, a very uh, uh, conflicting verse in some ways. Uh, what, what does this verse mean? I hope... That maybe we'll dive into a little bit of this verse, a little bit of knowledge where before we leave this morning that we would be able to see Jesus more clearly and be able to just have a revelation of who he is in our heart and in our mind. And, and I'm hoping to do that through this chapter, but bear with me because it is, it is strange. I'm just letting you know right now we're preaching a strange message on Baby Dedication Sunday. That's like, you don't do that if you want to grow a church, you know, you don't do that. But everything has been strange this morning. In fact, when we got here, the elevator was broke, so I decided to try to fix the elevator myself. And so I opened the elevator, I jammed it open, I got inside, I hit the button, and the door closed, and it was not opening. It was not going anywhere. So I was stuck in the elevator this morning. I called Pastor Austin. I'm like, hey, dude, I am stuck in the elevator. I can't get out. I'm on the phone with the elevator company this morning. It was just, it was just a strange day. And so I just, in, in, the, in the model of strangeness, you know, I got out of the elevator. Praise God. He set me free. And, and now we're here and we're just in time to preach the word. And so Thank you. It's good to have friends. One, that's, that's one thing you should know. And two, you should never get into a broken elevator. Like, that's just wisdom right there. So take that wisdom for what it is. Uh, man, Genesis chapter 32, as we talk about walking with God, and that's the theme of our year. It's the vision of our year to walk in step with God, to walk not just with Jesus in your quiet time, but to walk in community, to walk in discipleship, to, to walk in this process, because it is a walk. It is a, it is a walk, and I'm so thankful my wife tore it up last week. That's it. That's redemptive. That's redemptive. You see, on this first service, you're going to get the raw. You're going to get the raw this morning. No Facebook Live. She goes, babe, tell me how I did. I go, it was okay. Don't do that. I, I, was, I was like, I was like it's okay. I, I, you're awesome. You're you're an amazing communicator. It was great. It was awesome. You did awesome, babe. You're amazing. I'm so. And I was backpedaling really hard. And so I think today I'm just gonna bomb the message on purpose, and and that's gonna be awesome. You know, as as we're walking and and walking through life, we realize that maybe we step into some failures, right? We we step into um, maybe some things that didn't work out. We we all have a past behind us, right? 
as you walk in this journey, there's a lot of stuff behind you. And, and, and oftentimes, we don't necessarily want to revisit the things behind you, do you? I mean, it's not like I want to go back to eighth grade Ben, you know, ninth grade Ben, when, when I used to pick on Rachel in my class because for whatever reason, I was insecure, and if I could pick on Rachel, it would make me feel better about myself. Welcome to Bully 101. Just put some security in our kids, and we won't have bullying. And I just, I, I thought it, I got kicks out of it kicks and giggles because I would see her I would see her uh, cry and it, it was so easy it was I could just it was so easy and it was messed up and I don't want to revisit that I don't even want to revisit with you this morning I want to be exonerated of that if you will I want to I, I just want to be wiped clean and and that's oftentimes a lot of us in our past you know you you want to be exonerated from your past you want it you want the case to be closed and you just move on you know some of you have some past relationships maybe Maybe you treated a girlfriend or a boyfriend poorly, right? And you weren't very honorable or upright in that relationship. Some of you um, have this past time of, of, of where you actually maybe cheated in something to get ahead. Maybe it was biology class in high school. Maybe it was in your workplace. Maybe you were going out for a position for a promotion and you decided to put somebody else down, paint them in a bad light. So it made you look like you were in a good light, right? And so you were doing all these things. You, you want to just leave the past in the past. Some of you have felonies and you just want to be exonerated of that. Can we just get rid of that felony? I was stupid then. I grew up. I, I mean, why is that still following me? And, and it's oftentimes constantly following us. And, and what happens when the past catches up to you? That, that's the question that we see here is what happens when the past catches up to you? As we're about to read, what happens when you see that ex-girlfriend or ex-boyfriend in the workplace? What happens when you get promoted to that director position and you put somebody under the bus in order to get there and all of a sudden you're in the break room alone with them? Like awkward, you know, can, get me out of here quickly. Uh, I, I want to get out of this place. And, and I think undealt with past usually will bring up fear in the presence and you operate in this place of fear and worry you operate in this place of control or or what i would say from this scripture in deception where you deceive in such a way to cover up maybe those things that are plaguing you i'll i'll continue to deceive and and that's what fear can lead us to it can lead to a place of cover-up so in Genesis chapter 32, we read about a man named Jacob. And Jacob is a very fascinating man. He's the son of Isaac, who is, and Isaac's the son of Abraham. I mean, that is some great people in your family lineage. Your dad's awesome. Your great-granddad's awesome. You are going to be like a ruler of nations. The bloodline of Jesus is going to flow from you. It's, it's just an incredible heritage. And, and yet, when Jacob was born... He wasn't born first. He was born, he was born actually second, and he was constantly trying to catch up with his brother. And out of fear and out of insecurity, he, he painted this picture of deception. He started deceiving. He deceived, he deceived Esau, his brother, and for his birthright. We see that he deceived his father, Isaac, by by by, by getting the blessing. He he, he was constantly deceiving in fact that's what his name means is deception 
Like, like, this is what he's doing. I'm going to deceive to get ahead. But how many of you know if you're deceiving to get ahead, you're going to have to keep deceiving. You're going to have to keep doing. If, if, you, if you did something in your past and you didn't deal with it, you're going to probably keep repeating the past. That's oftentimes true for us. And so we see Jacob, he, he runs away because Esau wants to kill him. Rightly so, right? Because if I take your, your birthright and your blessing... You may want to kill me. I mean, it makes sense. I just took your identity. Stolen identity? Anybody have any identity theft? How many of you want to find that person and, like, do something to them, you know? I had some checks stolen one time, and they were using them. I was so mad. I wanted to find that HEB camera and figure out who they were, and they wouldn't let me. Right? So, so, so he, he starts running, and he runs to a place until... Until he sees a beautiful woman, right? Because that's most men, right? <laughs> we run, and then we see somebody pretty, and then we stop. And, and that's what happened. And he served Laban for seven years, and, and Laban didn't give him that, that woman. He gave him her sister. And then he served for another seven years to get her. And then he served six years to get the flock, 20 years. 20 years he was under this place of serving and moving. And, and this place of, of deception was following him, although he was growing close to God, right? I mean, you have maybe had something in the past, some kind of failure, some kind of disappointment, some kind of setback, but you're still walking with God. You made it to church today, you know? You, you may have not dealt with all of that because you don't want to revisit it because it's ugly. But you made it to church today, and you're walking in step. And here we find Jacob, a deceiver who's walking in step, and... And deception is not, not specific to Jacob, but deception is the nature of what we are born into. You realize this was just his character? This is just how he was born? You, you realize since, since Adam disobeyed, deception was part of human nature. It, it, we don't have to teach it. it we, we do it oftentimes before we meet Christ. We'll deceive in our own little ways. And this is what we see of Jacob. And, and in verse 32, let's pick up in verse 3. As Jacob is leaving Laban and leaving this land, he's headed to where he was from. And Jacob sent messengers before him in verse 3 to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir the country of Edom, instructing them, thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks, male servants and female servants. I've sent to tell my Lord in order that I might find favor in his sight. So he was going back to the land where Esau was. He was going back to his homeland. But he knew that Esau, the last he saw him 20 years ago, Esau wanted to kill him. So maybe if I just tell him, hey, man, here's kind of who I am. This is kind of what I got. Maybe that'll make a way. In verse 6, and the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau. And he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. You see how he's still trying to, like, manipulate. He's still trying to control the situation. He's still trying to be the boss right here. And, and Jacob, see, he was, he was walking with God. 
He was walking with God at this place. He was coming back and he was he was walking with God. But in this moment, like his, his nature was still trying to get him, if you will. His nature was still kind of trying to come up. Maybe I can control this. Maybe I'll divide it. Maybe I'll do this. And, and, and that's a lot of us. We've been walking with God. You're walking with God. You have a great family. You're maybe in a discipleship group, maybe in a small group. Maybe you attend church regularly. You're, you're doing some great things. You're serving on a night team. You're, you're doing some awesome things. You're, you're, you're really finding that, that you're walking with God. But, but the thing is, is when you see this past, the tendency would be to run, right? When, when you see that, oh, man, there's this fear. It's creeping up. I, I want to run. I want to go back to that old nature versus kind of who I am. And so in this moment where, where it could be awkward seeing his brother, in this moment where he's afraid, in this moment, he divides. He divides. See, see he was deceptive, and now he's dividing. And fear will lead to division. Fear will lead to division in your life. You'll start dividing things. You'll start, you'll start compartmentalizing your life. You'll start trying to take control of it and say, oh, man, i got to control this and control that and control this, and I must divide. And, and it is a defensive strategy, right? I mean, think about it. If, if I, I divide the two, then one will go get knocked out, and then the others can run away. It's kind of defensive. So a lot of us have put some defensive mechanisms inside of us. Right. Because because of this fear and and we're protecting and we're doing this stuff. But I want to just tell you right now this morning to get anything. God has freed you from defense and he's put you on offense. God started to put you on offense because he, he's called you to the fight. He's called you to the kingdom. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Right. This is what God has called us to. This is what he wants from us that he has put us on offense. Go and make disciples of all nations. Not build a church and stay in the church and drink Kool-Aid and don't go anywhere. Right? He's called you to go. I've called you on offense. I want you to go. Even, even a, a, a Roman guard has a shield, but the shield isn't to stay in one position. The shield is for advancement. The shield is defensive in nature in the sense of it quenches fiery dark shot against you, but it is to continually move offensively this is what we see in this in this chapter and and this is what we see of him is is that he he knew God he knew God he was walking with God but he didn't know God intimately he didn't know God face to face you see when you have an intimate relationship with God it's easy to know your purpose and what he's called you to but if you've just been walking with God, maybe attending small group, coming to church for a little bit, serving. Some of you may have been doing it for 10 years, 20 years, 20 years. You've been doing that. But you don't have this intimacy with God, this face-to-face relationship with him. And it, it causes you to act in your old nature. In verse 9, and Jacob said, oh, God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, oh, Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of these deeds of the steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan, and now I've become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. He may come and attack me. 
the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for it cannot be numbered for multitude. See, he, he does a right thing in this moment of fear. What does he do? He prays. That's a great thing. That's a good thing. Like, like man, I, here's fear. Here's deceptive. I'm dividing. I'm controlling. But I'm also going to throw up a prayer, you know, because <laughs> you can only control so much. And it's a good prayer because in this prayer, he remembers what God said to him. He remembers this, that I will surely do you good. It's good in your prayer to remember what God said, because if you don't remember, you can start taking more control and dividing more. And all of a sudden, two camps become four camps and four camps become eight camps. And it's a multiplying effect in your hearts with the things that have happened, with the things that you're trying to control. So he prays this. He prays, let me remember. Let me remember who you are. And in this moment, he, he decides, okay, after this prayer, I'm going to deliver. I'm going to deliver a gift to make restitution. I'm going to deliver a gift to make restitution in verse 13. So he stayed there that night. And from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats. 200 oos and 20 rams. 30 milking camels and their calves. 40 cows and 10 bulls. 20 female donkeys and 10 male calves. 40 cows and 10 bulls. 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants. Every drove by itself and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He struck to the first. When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my Lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who follow the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And verse 20, and you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with a present that goes ahead of me. And afterward, I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him. And he himself stayed that night in the camp. He delivered a peace offering to his brother. You see, that's, that's a great note. He, he prays this prayer and then he delivers this gift because if you're going to win somebody over, if you're going to win your enemy over, it may be good to go an extra mile. It may be good to go to some lengths. This is what he was taught in his wisdom in this moment. 550 animals. That is a huge offering to make amends with your brother. And we see multiple people do this, right? We see multiple times in scripture where there is a gift given in order for restitution to happen. Remember Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, when, when the Lord prompted on him, everybody that he offended, everything in his past, he made restitution for it, that he gave accordingly to them to give back to them with interest. And then there's this strange moment in this passage. And all you know this moment, because when we were boys, or maybe, I don't know if the girls know this, but if you're a dude in here, you know this passage, because it's a wrestling match. 
You know, and I love to wrestle. I love to get on the floor with my brothers when growing up. We love to pin each other wrestling. My dad uh, did wrestling in high school, so it was just like in us, man, to wrestle. Some of you grew up with WWE, WWF. You're all about it. You're like, man, this is it, Stone Cold style. This is going to happen. And, and, and so you read this verse, you're like, man, this is, yes, wrestle. Wrestle with God. But when you think about it, when you're older, this is strange. Verse 22, the same night he rose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children, and crossed the ford of Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose up as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. We see in this moment that, that, that Jacob, right, he, he was this place where he was a deceiver. There's deception taking place. And then he divided, right? He divided the flocks. And then he delivered a present. And now we see that he was displaced. He was displaced, that he was now walking with a limp. He was in this place where he met God and he was displaced. And, and when you meet with God, he will displace something in your life. When you meet with God face to face in intimacy, he's going to displace something in your life. As you're going through life, whether it's, it's, it's hurt or pain or suffering or whatever journey you may be in, as, you, as you're meeting with God and there's this wrestling, as God comes and meets you where you are, as you're walking, he's going to displace something in your life. And as the result of that displacement, you'll remember how amazing he is. You'll remember how awesome he is. I was 23. I was on a pilgrimage. I was on a pilgrimage. I just graduated college not too long ago, and I was going to Scotland. And on my way to Scotland, I was going to stop in Edinburgh. I was actually 24 years old. I was going to Edinburgh because the next year I was planning to take some students on a mission trip to Edinburgh where we were going to reach an unreached people group. At the time, about 2% of the population confessed Jesus as Lord. And so I was so excited about this. I stopped in London, visited my friend in London, and, and took a flight over to Edinburgh. And there it was, just me and the Lord and the land. You know, it's awesome. You know, and we started journeying and started walking and started looking. And, and I was fired up. I was fired up for God. I was fired up for what he was going to do in that city in 2007. I, I was so excited because I knew Jesus was going to reach people in this place. And, and I was on a scouting trip. I took my vacation to do a scouting trip. I, I don't know. That's when you're crazy, like in love with the Lord. I don't do that anymore. I'm, 
Going to go Disney World this summer, praise God. So, so I, was, I was praying, and I was, I was walking up Arthur's, Arthur's seat. This big hill in Edinburgh, and it looks over the city. And I was so excited because I was going to walk up this, this hill, uh, more like a mountain, if you look at it. And as I walked up, I was going to pray over the city. I remember walking, and, and the sun was setting, and it was getting dark, and I was walking fast because I didn't want to be out past dark because, you know, I was 24, and I was good looking, so I just didn't want anybody to kidnap me, you know, and, and so I was walking up there, and I, I, I started praying and just praying to the Lord, and then all of a sudden, my hip locks up. My hip locks up, and I'm walking, and my hip locks up, and all of a sudden, I can't walk, and it is excruciating pain. It's amazing pain. I don't know if you've ever had that. And I'm just sitting there. I'm like, man, this thing has to pop. Like, this is so bad. And just under strain, maybe walking too much, maybe not enough water. I don't know what it was. But I know my hip hurt so bad in that moment. And, and I was praying. I was, I was thanking the Lord. And I was like, man, Lord, I, I just wanted to make it to the top of this mountain. And I'm only halfway up. And now it's getting dark. And now my hip is like this. And so I'm sitting down. And I'm, like, trying to do stretches and all this stuff. And and I remember, like, doing what you're not supposed to do. Like, if your hip locks up, like, like start kicking, you know, crazily and doing all this stuff. And, and then all of a sudden, I heard a pop. And when it popped, I was like, whoo, man, that feels better. That is crazy. I don't know what that was. So I went back down the mountain. I went to the friend's house, hung out. And then over the next course of the week, it started locking up, and I was popping it, locking up and popping it. And ever since then, um, you know, 13 years later, my hip will, will lock up, and I have to pop it out of place, right? Or not out of place because, you know, it's crazy if you actually pop your hip out of place. But, but, but all of a sudden, it just it does this thing where it locks up. And that sounds awful, right? That sounds miserable. It sounds like, what is going on here? And, and it, it is kind of miserable. But the crazy thing about it is every time my hip locks up, I think about Jesus. When my hip locks up and I'm in this excruciating pain, I think about who God is. I think about, I think about that moment when I was in Scotland and I was praying over this city and I was praying for God to reach this city. And the next year we went and we saw, we saw dozens of kids come to know the gospel and, and what God did in this miracle. I think about that moment when my, when my hip locks up. And so some people get frustrated, right? Like, man, why am I going through this pain right now? Why am I going through this suffering? But for me, I started thinking about Jesus because it defined me. It defined me. And in this moment, when Jacob's wrestling with God, he was defined. No longer as deceiver, but now Israel. Now he was the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. It changed his life. He became defined, which is really divine grace divine grace is really what it is and, and see when my hip locks up you may see it as pain you may see man you need to go to a pt or something but I, I really see it as this place says this is divine grace divine grace because when this happens i remember god i know god and as jacob was walking away and he was walking with his hip dislocated which is crazy painful which can only happen through a traumatic injury in fact, it only happens in car wrecks or a really bad football injury or something like that for your hip to come out of your socket. It's, it's, it's excruciating pain. And that's what happened, and he walked with a limp for the rest of his life. For the rest of his life, he walked with this limp, and, and instead of being mad, he realized God was doing something in him. 
that God was changing this past. He was defining something for the future of who he was. A.W. Pink says this, Jacob was not wrestling with this man to obtain a blessing. Instead, the man was wrestling with Jacob to gain some object from him. As to what this object is, the best of the commentators agree. It was to reduce Jacob to a sense of his nothingness, to cause him to see what a poor, helpless, and worthless creature he was. It was to teach us through him that all-important lesson that in recognized weakness lies our strength. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And this is what is so beautiful. And so when you're questioning in this walk and you've been wrestling with God and you realize that you're moving into this place of intimacy and seeing who he really is and what he's really about. And you're seeing him all of a sudden. It's really saving who you are. It's, it's making you more humble and making him more elevated. It's putting him into a position of authority over your life and letting him be father over all. It is what God has wanted. It's amazing in this wrestling match because he deceived his earthly father, Isaac. And then he deceived his stepfather, right? He deceived his stepfather. And then you see him wrestling, almost trying to deceive God. Almost trying to get, get the blessing and get ahead. But God, in this moment, touches his hip just to remind him, hey, it's me who blessed you. It's me who gave you your new name. It's me who called you Israel. And in Genesis 33, 20, as we close, after a beautiful reunion with his brother, after he saw Esau, after he moved in this moment, and after, after he reunited with him and Esau forgave him, and it was a beautiful moment, we see that, he, we see that Jacob built an altar. He said, there he set up an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. El Elohi Israel. God the God of Israel. God, the God of Israel. Not God, the God of just maybe the nation, but the God, the God of who I am now, of who you define me in, in my name, Israel. How has God been defining you? Where have you been on your journey? Are you in this place where you just keep avoiding the past? You don't want to revisit it because it's just too painful? I'm telling you that God wants to heal your past. And he wants to make your past into a free life, into a life that is fully in him. God wants to set you free. He wants to define you. Would you stand with me this morning as we close? Don't be ashamed of your past. Don't be ashamed of maybe some deception. But identify it. And realize in your heart if you've divided up anything that you're still trying to control a certain situation. And then move to this place of delivering some restitution, those you need to be made right with. And after you do that, realize that as you meet with God, he may displace something in your life and may make something uncomfortable. He may make something uncomfortable because when you're dealing with all this, it's not very comfortable. And you may get a little uncomfortable in this journey. And that's okay. Because as you're uncomfortable, God's going to define you. He's going to define you 
by his divine grace that was given to you. You see, the man came down to Jacob. And I want to tell you and remind you that Jesus came down to you. He came down to you for you to rescue you wherever you find yourself. Because he's the great healer and he wants to heal you. And he wants you whole because he came for whole people. He came to make broken people whole. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for who you are, Jesus. We praise you, Lord, and we just thank you for this day, God. I thank you, Father, for everybody who came this place, who's on a walk, Lord, and they're in different places. Some of them may have not even met you, Jesus, don't even know about you, but I pray today was an introduction. Some of them, some, some people in this room have been walking with God for 20 years, but they don't know what intimacy is. They don't know what it means to be with God face to face. Lord, I pray that you would move them there. And those who have intimacy and those who are walking maybe with a limp, but walking with faith, walking on the offense, Lord, I pray that you would remind them to keep going, to keep being offensive, to keep going and making disciples, to keep loving their family, to keep loving their community, and keep loving their Father, our great Father, El Elohi, the God of Ben Chapman the God of Luminous Church, the God of Israel. We love you in Jesus' name.